Uh, I think I think we're just waiting for one more speaker, but we'll just kind of start uh, irrespective of that. Um, you know, so I just want to welcome everyone to the Tesla space, uh, whether super following or not. I don't think we have that on. Uh, I'm on Usual Wells, <laughs> and we're super happy to discuss uh, kind of Tesla's second AI day uh, with the experts here. They're all real, not robots. Uh, Nicholas will be conducting the discussion today. Uh, so kind of let's begin. All right, all right, folks. Excited to have all these speakers as always. Feel free to jump in at any time once we get rolling. First, I'm going to introduce everybody. Go ahead and chime in when I call out your name. And, you know, feel free to say anything extra about yourself, anything you're working on, uh, anything you got coming out, for example, as well. Uh, the only request I have during the space is that when somebody's talking, please keep mics muted. Sometimes we end up with some feedback and some echo. So just to kind of avoid that, you don't have to raise your hand or anything to kind of join the conversation and jump in. Feel free to just jump in. But when somebody's, you know, on a roll and a train of thought, try not to unmute just in case of that feedback. So I'm going to jump right down the list of great folks we got here, starting with Deadhead himself, Ross Gerber, the co-founder, president, and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki Wealth and Investment Management, in charge of $2.2 billion of investments, and has said Tesla is the king of this transition into EV. How's it going, Ross? <laughs> well, it's been a great year so far. I mean... Uh... What else could you ask for every stock in the market on sale? Um, you know, so I'm really excited actually to talk about all the things I've seen in the last year from the different technologies in AI, um, full self-driving, uh, as well as LiDAR technologies and, and EV technologies between all the companies I've been investing in and following. You know, I, I feel like we're on the cusp of one of the most incredible technological changes in, in our time. And that's what I really devoted myself to as an investor and, and in my firm uh, to some degree is, is really investing in climate solutions. And so, you know, with the things that we're seeing today between Florida and this natural gas, you know, pipeline leak that was a terrorist attack against the environment, we've now entered a stage of extremely scary times. And so, you know, that's why I do these things. It's for awareness and for investment into the future, which we can make a lot of money, but also get off a carbon-based energy system, which I think is one of the most important things for humanity. Good deal, man. Thanks for being here. Excited to hear your insights. Up next, Warren Redlick, a self-described Tesla hyperbull. Warren's a great YouTuber discussing all things in the Tesla and SpaceX and more spaces. He also did some great clapping push-ups. How's it going, Warren? I'm doing well, thank you. I, um, I started uh really getting into spacex and tesla probably about eight to ten years ago and around 2016 after spacex landed the orbital rocket booster for the first time i i became a conviction investor and i'm not all in but i'm about as close to all in as you can get on uh tesla and uh, a rabid fan and i would echo a lot of what uh, ross just said Good deal, man. Thanks for being here. And speaking of all in, next we've got Jason DeBolt, a friend of the UW Tesla Spaces. He is an all-in Tesla investor since 2013, believe it or not. Retired and an advocate of all things Tesla. How's it going, Jason? 
Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me on here. This is dope. Um, yeah, so I retired almost two years ago, and uh, I haven't really been doing a whole lot, just kind of enjoying my life uh, away from work and traveling and things like that. But um, lately, I've just started to uh, do a little bit more research on um, on the Tesla bot. So uh, in 2015, I wrote a uh, research paper, like an investment kind of thesis in Tesla, and uh, I kind of wrote it for myself. It was a 30-page document. Uh, I spent a week writing it, and I was convinced that Tesla was uh, going to um, really disrupt the automobile industry and, and the energy industry. So I just, you know, actually went all in in 2015. Uh, but I bought my first shares in 2013. So, um, so that 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 thesis, that paper that I wrote, really helped me uh, convince myself that I should really just invest in nothing but Tesla. So. Uh, and I sat tight for another four, five years, and it, you know, Tesla was flat during that time. It actually went down, um, but uh, depending on which days you look at between 2015 and 2019, Tesla broke out, went up, you know, 15, 20x in 2020. And I looked at my income from work versus my income from my investments, and I said it doesn't make sense to work anymore. Um, you know, I'm just, I'll just retire, and so that's what I did. But lately, um, I've been doing research on the Tesla bot, and I'm starting to write another one of these these papers just for myself. But I might, I might actually share, publish this one and share it. But um, the 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 uh, opportunity I had with the Tesla bot is so ridiculous. I, I mean, it's such an exciting. Um, uh, thing that they're developing. There's so much disruption that I don't think people are prepared for it, even those in the Tesla community. It's just something that if they go all in, if the engineers are truly, um, you know, if, if the timing is right, like it might be er too early to develop a, a Tesla bot, you know, I, I hope not, but that could be the case too. But um, there's so much that has to go right, you know, and I think that uh, if it does work out, it's going to be like, I mean, this is going to carry Tesla to to levels of valuation that we've never seen before. Going back to Standard Oil, like this is going to be ridiculous. Um, Good deal, man. Really excited to hear more on that yeah, later. So. Well, no sure. worries, man. We'll definitely want to hear more about that and about your uh, your uh, potentially impending paper. It'd be pretty cool to see that as well. Up next. Yeah. Our guy, Chuck Cook, he's a guy who can do everything. A previous U.S. Navy, an OG FSD beta, and an aero engineer, and so much more. It's a welcome, a welcome, and a privilege to have his expertise here today. How are you doing, Chuck? Looks like you might still be muted there, Chuck, if you were trying, and he got dropped by the Twitter. So I'll move right on down the list. We'll let him say his piece once he's able to get back in here. Last and certainly not least, because there's two more left, we've got Tesla Herbert. He's the guy to follow for Tesla Catalyst, a great YouTube channel and all-around interviewer. Excited to have him. How you doing, Tesla Herbert? Good. Thank you very much. Appreciate this. So I actually um, started investing same same as Jason in 2013. I'm all in at this point, and I started to create a YouTube channel. I've actually been able to have interviews with Ross, with Warren, uh, with Chuck, and I'm hoping someday Jason will agree and he'll come on board as well, maybe on the Tesla bot. Um, so I'm extremely excited about everything that's happening, especially about the Tesla bot. That's the big thing I think it's going to be very exciting today. So I'm looking forward to that. And actually later this evening, I'm doing a live stream with Robert Scoble and AJ Janeja, who is an expert in AI. So we're going to be following the bot as it's revealed. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Herbert. I appreciate it, really. Excited to hear all of this feedback. Last but not least, since there is only one left this time, 
Brandon is an OG Tesla FSD beta tester and a self-proclaimed technology geek. He's a huge advocate for Tesla's tech and Powerwall, and we're really happy to have him. How you Welcome doing, to be here. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks, Nicholas. Um, yeah, so I started my investment path with Tesla in 2018 when I got my Model 3, and I was fortunate enough to be selected for early access at the time, so I've actually seen the software progression and the testing um, from, you know, navigating autopilot when we didn't even have side cameras activated at the time um, up until now FSD beta tester. And I was one of the, you know, first people that actually was able to get that even before we publicly were able to talk about it. So it's pretty exciting times that we're in and I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you, man. So I think we can start moving forward. We added a few other speakers as well. We've got Tech AU and Tesla owners, Silicon Valley, big Tesla folks. Glad to have you guys here too. We'll definitely be kicking some questions your way as we move along. So to sure start thing. things off, generally, Elon Musk has said that this would be a hiring event. It's likely that many of the technical details will kind of go over people's heads with regards to what is happening. As engineers, what are we expecting? And as some people who are invested, what are you expecting? Nobody really in part. Actually, let's start with Ross here. Well, I'm not an engineer, so let's start with that. But um, that said, you know, AI Day is really about changing the narrative of Tesla from the EV business to the AI business, because that's really what it is, whether it be a robot application or an automobile. And in their, you know, quest to master driving, I think, what they learned was this was super hard to do. Like, can't we get machines to do easier things than drive in LA? And, you know, it's still a quest that they're trying to master. And, and I think what they realized is it's a lot easier to run a factory with robots with specific tasks than to run a car through a li living city. And if they leverage their manufacturing ability and their technology and software ability, what they could do is build lots of specialized robots for lots of different applications um, that are basically like the same as in theory, what an EV is just a different shape in essence. So what I expect them to discuss is the software and hardware architecture that they're building to make this living organism, you know, exist on this neural net, which is, really, really high conceptual like thinking on what they're doing. And what I typically find from these events, whether I fully understand them or not, is that what Elon is doing, whether you fully understand it or not, is incredible. And you don't really need to understand it. You know, honestly, just you bet on it. And, and that's part of what I think today is about is to just get some insight into what his vision is. But from my perspective, I don't even really care because I'm just betting on it because I believe, you know. Kick it over to Tesla Herbert next. How are you feeling? What do you expect and want to see? Yeah, absolutely. So it is absolutely a recruiting event. So for Tesla to be able to recruit the best minds in the world, right, in order to do that, you need to wow them. You need to you know, peak their interest. And so you need to show not only that you have this amazing hardware, but you have a supercomputer, you have neural networks, and you have a way to teach 
the robo-taxi robo to be able to learn how to drive. You need to now, now be able to teach how the bots are going to learn how to drive. There's two different ways that different companies have taught bots how to do some certain tasks. The first one is you put on air glasses and then you 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 know assume the eyes of the bot and you control the bot and you teach it you know fifty you know fifty to hundred times to do some task let's say carry a water bottle pick it up from here and move it to there and then once you teach it that activity then the bot should be able to learn how to do that and the other one is simulation so the larger that your um, hardware is your your supercomputer. Uh, the more processing, processing power it can do, the more videos that you can feed it and data, the more that it can teach it to do these tasks. And so with simulation alone, it might be able to learn how to balance, how to walk, bipedal locomotion. It might be able to do certain tasks. And so what I'm looking for tonight is if they can show how the, you know, these machine learning AI experts can actually teach um, just how, how does this system learn over time? And if that if that just blows the mind of the smartest of the the best and the best, that's the number one com, uh, competitive advantage for this company. And the metaphor that I was told recently that I've been repeating a lot is that think that we are in a Super Bowl and this is you know this is the NFL, but they don't have this rule where all the smartest and the best athletes have to be spread around to all the other teams. If all of them just join the top one and two teams, SpaceX and Tesla. What happens this year? What happens next year? What happens in five years? It's just the company that you can never, ever beat because the smartest and smartest go there. So, you know, they need to wow. They need to just show things. And I think that um, so it's, it's going to be partly very, very technical, but they're going to have to have something, new hardware, um, new capabilities. Maybe they're going to say the dojo is now live. Maybe it's not just one rack, but multiple racks in addition to the NVIDIA super com um, computer. Last year, they said NVIDIA is the fifth fastest and largest supercomputer in the world. Boy, I'd love to hear them say that it's better than that, if not even the super fastest supercomputer now. So maybe that's putting a little bit too much uh, hope. Thank you. Hey, time will tell, right? So Jason, without revealing your AI bot paper and thesis too much, what do you want to see? Um, yeah, I actually don't. I mean, there's a lot that I want to see, but um, I, I don't think we're going to see like a full, fully mobile Tesla bot today. If they did, that would be amazing. Like that would, I would be blown away. I don't think they're going to demonstrate walking. Um, I think it's just going to be focused mostly on the hands and the dexterity of the hands. I could be wrong. You know, I'm just, I'm not a roboticist at all, but I do think that they're going to focus on mastering kind of um, the hands first and the dexterity of the hands before they go and work on other parts of the robot. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there'll be a demo today with the robot. And then um, they're probably, you know, obviously going to give us an update on the AI stack and Dojo and the latest on FSD. Um, and uh, I think that they'll also talk a little bit about the economics of the Tesla bot. And uh, kind of that that's something I hope that maybe um, if you're not technical, you can at least understand the implications of this. Right. So I'm excited. I'll be happy either way. I'm not expecting too much. Um, and uh, I, I have a question, Jason. Um, yeah. do you, in your vision of, of the Tesla bot, do you see it as a like a business to business sale or a business to consumer kind of product or both? I think initially it's just going to be used in the Tesla factories in limited uh, situations. Uh, and, um, you know, so maybe something involving like the, 
areas of the factories that aren't very safe for humans to be in. Uh, yeah, like painting or something. Yeah, yeah, something or maybe like the with the uh, anywhere near some of the large giga presses or things like that. You know, I, I don't know, right? But eventually, I think it will end up in in um, the homes of consumers. But it's a long time before I think that can happen. Um, I think there's, uh, it's mostly going to be. Yeah, I see it really as an industrial product myself. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I agree with Ross. Good deal. Good deal. Thank you for that insight. I'm going to spin this off to Warren. I want to talk a little bit more about the Tesla Optimus bot. During a product roadmap update early in 2022, Musk said that Tesla is prioritizing product development of the Optimus humanoid robot in 2022 over new product launches, which were all delayed until 2023. Is Tesla spreading itself too thin with this robotics initiative? Should Tesla be focusing more on delivering itself driving promises? Yeah, so I, I don't think this is spreading itself too thin. They hired different people to work on bot. Um, they, they are using the supercomputer to train bot to some extent, but I think they have enough supercomputer resources for that. Um, I just want to really quickly, I'm, I think I'm an outlier. I think that the they, they need to put bot in varying circumstances. They don't. You don't want to train bot just in a factory. You want bot to experience every kind of environment possible so that you throw as much data as possible into the training supercomputer so that it trains on on more diverse scenarios. So I think that will initially be <clears throat> to consumers as, you know, basically a, a mostly useless toy and we'll all teach it to, to walk and do tasks and it will be upgraded over time. And the one thing I just wanted to add on your original question, and I wanted to ask Jason DeBolt about this because I think he knows more than the rest of us is I think it would be a really good spot for a technical presentation on programming Dojo. Not Dojo the hardware side, because they presented that, but Dojo the software side and talking about how you would use Dojo from a software side to do uh, AI training. Um, if you don't mind me asking, Jason, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so using Dojo, you know, I'm actually, I can speak, I mean, I was a software engineer, definitely not an AI engineer, but... Um, I do know that the transition to Dojo could be painful as an AI engineer. Just, you know, for example, whenever there's a top-down decision to change something as fundamental as the compute stack, you have to rewrite a lot of your software to be able to work with that hardware, and that's painful. And engineers, it's not really the most fun thing to do as an engineer, just to rewrite your code just so it works on new hardware. Like, um, I think, you know, for example, they're just using NVIDIA right now, like in, in a lot of GPUs and stuff like that. I think that as an engineer, personally, I've seen engineers don't want to focus on trying to rewrite their code to work with new hardware. They would rather just maximize their uh, feature output using the existing tech stack and also the tech stack that other companies might use. There's a lot of NVIDIA GPU libraries and things like that. So that's a challenge moving to Jojo that nobody really seems to talk about. But that's my perspective as an engineer. And Again, I'm not like an AI engineer. I don't know if I answered your question at all, Warren, but maybe you can like rephrase it and I can try to answer it well, better. This is the thing, that, that technical presentation, I don't expect to understand it. And I think I understood about 75% of what you just said, but I thought it was a better answer than I could have imagined. Yeah, the one thing I wanted to mention too is, um, is that even for FSD, like when I was talking with Elon, they rewrote that thing like 29 times. So there's a lot of stuff even on the front end that you'll never really understand that's happening on the back end or like small adjustments or within the code, but they'll spend hours and hours rewriting certain code or, you know, reframing it, but you'll never actually see a lot of, it may not to, uh, to the average 
let's say beta tester, you may not see much improvement, even though they've rewritten a good scope of it. Yeah, I yeah. think that's okay. actually really true. Like, because I was just I think we lost you there, Jason, mid-sentence. Oh, yeah. So I think that um, what we're talking about here is the thing called refactoring. It's what engineers do. They kind of like they're doing a lot of coding underneath the hood that nobody ever sees. Like product managers don't know what engineers do when they refactor. Users who are using the software don't see any of the changes oftentimes that, um, you know, so refactoring is kind of like a, a, a task that a lot of engineers kind of begrudgingly do they don't really want to do it nobody gets promoted for doing it it's seen as kind of like uh main maintenance work uh unsexy unglamorous work that nobody gets promoted for but it's there essentially probably needs to be a massive amount of refactoring to fully move the tech stack to dojo good deal guys thank you that was a really great discussion so i'm gonna kick this over now to brandon and tech au so for you, Brandon, and Tesla owners of Silicon Valley, and TechAU, Elon Musk initially said that the bot was capable of handling unsafe, repetitive, or boring tasks. Besides potentially conducting Twitter space as well, how do we think the bot will be used? What do you want to see the bot do besides maybe be a cat girlfriend, as Elon Musk once alluded to? Well, go for it. Yeah, so I was actually thinking about the other day. I was like, you know, wh wh what are the applications for this? And I initially thought, you know, like Jason was saying, I, I initially think this is going to be used internally in their factories until they can actually get this right. And then I believe that they're going to shift this to other businesses that run factory operations, you know, other assembly line workers that this can be rolled out to because it's repetitive tasks and especially unsafe tasks um, or, you know, tasks that have a higher chance for, uh, safety related issues. So for me, I think I, I believe this is going to be something that they're going to use internally for their factory workers first, like on the assembly lines. Um, maybe we'll, we might see this for, you know, like an Amazon warehouse type of environment where people are moving packages or, you know, an airport line where they're handling bags uh, from, you know, one line to the aircraft, that kind of thing. So something that's repetitive with heavy objects and that kind of task. I think that's where we're going to see this first before we start getting into the, you know, the coffee shop worker or something that will take, you know, wash the dishes for you, that kind of thing. Um, so that that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree exactly with what was just said. I think um, if you look at, I mean, Ross is even an expert at this in that, the, the, the way that Tesla is able to optimize the supply chain, the manufacturing is unlike any other company I think we've ever seen, right? And I think the, the hard part with Tesla initially is they tried to make robots do everything initially, and that's almost what killed them. So now it's almost like because they, you know, they're very profitable now, and that's even growing, pro you know, potentially even faster than their, um, their top line sales. But like, you know, this is going to help them optimize the crap out of their production line like i don't think we really understand that and i think that's their focus and i think when they look at optimizing what they currently have they're gonna replace a lot of it probably with some of these repetitive tasks that the bot is going to take care of as they roll out these new uh, gigafactories which they see as new products that's ultimately uh what what it's going to help the most that's their focus right so now they have the the money and the time to go back and say okay 
how do we still continue to optimize the shit out of this? And next thing you know, you know, maybe they're up to 50% margin. Again, I'm totally throwing that number out there, but uh, that's their focus. That's what this bot should be doing for them. I don't think they're so focused on the consumer side just yet, but who knows? Fair enough. Tech AU to you. I know a lot of people are predicting the bot to be a big showcase, but Elon Musk said it would be less than 10 years before consumers would be able to buy their own Tesla bot to help around the house and that the cost would eventually be less than a car. Does this matter to Tesla's valuation? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that really translates to the number of bots that they're going to make, right, is effectively the story there. So, I agree with the others that the initial application is going to be in a commercial sense and it's going to be really hard for them to justify to sell to a consumer at like a price point consumers would buy at versus the amount of opportunity there is in the business world. So if you're able to replace a human, well, that's, you know, what is that, $50,000, $75,000 of a wage that, that potentially could be replaced by a, a robot that costs much less than that. And then so there's just going to be businesses lining up to have these once they're you know, their functionality improves. So the, the time frame of when they can sell to consumers where that makes sense, um, it, it may be augmented and, and accelerated by the fact that they can ramp these faster than what we've seen the vehicle ramps happen. Um, but it, I do see that as a number of years away. And it also gets to what Brandon was talking about. It's like, how do they learn? You know, how do we train these things? How do we get them new skills? And I personally would love the idea of having a skills marketplace that if, you give us the tools to train the robot to do things that we can share that as a skill and sell that and other people can download it and then every bot on the planet can essentially learn and use that skill and then adapt dynamically to the environment that they're in. So that's kind of how I feel. And if, if that's, um, you know, then we're talking about, you know, not thousands but potentially millions of bots around the planet. Yeah, I mean, I see it the same way myself. Like, that is exactly right. There, there's such demand from an industrial perspective, especially with labor shortages across the world and so many jobs that are sort of higher risk or, or tough on people, the, the industrial applications and the price point for the robot could be actually fairly high, like an automobile price point. And it still makes sense when you look at the cost of employment. So I think it's going to be a while until a consumer product makes sense. When you guys say a while, what do you mean? Five years? Like, years? Yeah, like five years. I don't disagree then. Excellent. Speaking of, Robert Scoble, another Tesla expert. How are you doing, man? What do you think about a uh, current topic or you know anything you were able to catch from the panel so far? How are you feeling about I'm, the event? I'm just looking forward to tonight and see this thing. We've been talking about it for weeks. and <laughs> Everybody has an opinion about what it does. What's your opinion, man? How are you feeling? On Tesla Hubert's show tonight, we have an AI pioneer who built his own auto tagger and went to Carnegie Mellon in the robotics program decades ago and has been uh, a leader there. Um, And so he'll be able to explain the technology as they're talking about it, right? Good deal, man. Thanks for joining us. Excited to have you here. I'm excited. I I think it does a lot more than anybody on this call is expecting. I think they're they're really going to step up and show the world something mind-blowing here's the hoping man that'd be really great to see 
So we did touch a little bit on competition earlier. So speaking of that, along with valuation, the Chinese company Xiaomi released theirs in August. They said Xiaomi is a robot as a symbol of Xiaomi's dedication to incubate a technological ecosystem that will, quote unquote, give birth to more application scenarios in other fields. Can Tesla compete accurately in this field? Tesla Herbert, maybe you can put yeah. on this not only can they compete, but no one else can compete against Tesla. There's no other company that can build a, you know, mass produce an AI robot, right? Because in order to do that, you need to have several things under your belt. You need to have supercomputer neural networks. And you can say to me, oh, sure, Google has that. Great. You need to have that. But you also need to have manufacturing capability. You need to have materials experience. You've got to have, you know, SpaceX and and Tesla creating all sorts of, you know, materials. Um, Boston Dynamics took ten years to build this amazing robot that can do parkour and jumping down, but they had to, you know, custom make every single piece or scrounge for those pieces because they're not a manufacturing company. They don't know how to build it. They can build five, but can they build a thousand? Can they build ten thousand? You need to have factory experience in order to do that. Then you need the AI, the neural networks, something that is, um, you know, the, the ability to teach it and for it to learn on its own. So, so you need all these things to be able to, to be in place. And who has that? I don't know. You know, they have to have all of it at the same time. You also have to have a business model because the investors are not investing anymore. Giant AI got cut up. I was a uh, robotics company invested in by Bill Gates and Minogue Kosla, they cut him, cut off this company, and it's now dead. Yeah, they you, know you what's just, coming, which is Tesla. You just visited their factory two months ago. I watched your YouTube video on that, and then they're out of business. <laughs> Way to go, Robert. Yeah, well, they're out of business because of Tesla, right? Tesla has a database that they don't have. More importantly, Tesla has a business model that they don't have, and that's what investors want to see. That there's a company that can get it finished and sell it and or use it for its own purposes. And that's Tesla. Giant AI didn't have a manufacturing line to put bots on. Yeah, I think that's a really big that's point there. Like there's a lot of people trying to develop AI, but they're not manufacturing products. And so it's like they'll like develop really cool technology, let's say. But then it's like, how do I scale it? And that's something I talk about all the time now about what's going on in the EV world. And it's like, oh, well, this car is so cool. Look at this new car, this and that. And I go, it just doesn't matter if you can't scale it. And that's what Tesla's proven yeah. is that they can scale production of robots. Yeah. yeah uh, by the way, if you go and visit production lines, like like several of us have, you know, whether you go to the Tesla line in Fremont or Texas or somewhere else, or go to the Ford line in Detroit, there's not that many jobs that a humanoid robot could really affect that much particularly a tesla most of the car is made by a casting machine and then the the bottom of it comes from a battery uh, uh, factory with the seats attached and it gets shoved right into the bottom of the car so what is there for a robot to do in the factory a few jobs but not that many that you might think maybe more at ford but not not as many at t tesla but you're absolutely the people who said that there's a huge demand for this kind of robot absolutely true my brother runs a bar he's like if it can cook if it can flip burgers if i can teach it that i'd buy four of them like now and i'd pay 50 grand a piece and he's not alone 
So I just want to I want to follow up on this point about manufacturing. One of the keys that has led Tesla to be successful in developing artificial intelligence and machine learning is being able to throw a lot of data and and have a lot of of uh, AI training supercomputer powers so that you can crunch all that data. And by manufacturing millions of vehicles that are generating data that get fed back into the data center, you can you're getting a lot more data that that enables you to increase the learning pace so That's you don't want to start point. you don't want to start with a thousand bots or a hundred bots you want to start you want to get to a million bots you want to produce millions of bots that are all and i i'm going to say this again in a variety of environments so that they can experience the world in a lot of different ways and then you feed that back into the training supercomputer and that way the bots learn faster and they get more productive there's a another issue i i interviewed a bunch of um uh, people who work in the auto industry on, on manufacturing lines. One of which I interviewed was uh, the guys who run VW. And I asked them, can you put a 3D sensor or a camera on your workers and use AI to understand the job better, to see, to find some innovation like Toyota manufacturing where you would reconfigure the job so that the human could do it faster? Oh, no, they told me. We can't do that. We're a German company. There's lots of rules about putting sensors on workers. But t Tesla can do that work in China where there's not that rule. In China, everything is watched by AI in the manufacturing. And uh, they can use that learning on their other factories even if it's not allowed. Right? The, the robot can do a new job or help, a, uh, help reconfigure the factory. So we'll definitely come back to more bot talk in a moment. But first, I want to kind of come back to competition in China. So with Tesla's competition there, Tesla China is kind of in a battle for the domestic electric vehicle market. Uh, there's been a bunch of domestic electric vehicles popping up like, like uh, yeah. Xpeng Motors, Neo churning out competitors at aggressive price points. Neo, for example, is expanding to the EU. Sales were some of the most in Norway, for example, last year. Is anyone on the panel looking at any of these competitors with interest? Let's start with Brandon. Uh, go ahead. You know, so I'm I'm not too familiar with the Chinese market, but uh, the where I used to work, I used to work in the airline industry, and we used to build jets, and. It was very interesting watching the Chinese market because they they would do a lot of like knockoffs or copycats of what we were actually creating and doing their own spin on that. And, you know, being that we were an American manufacturer, we were kind of we were always on the on the position of our product was more superior. And when we'd see the knockoffs that they create or whatever that China was creating, it was always in a way inferior for what what was coming out of the United States. And, you know, like I, I, I'm excited to see competition. I'm excited to see different products coming out, but I'm not entirely sure if they're on the same level that we're used to, at least from the, the level of quality um, that we're used to seeing in the United States. I've been inside factories in, in China. I think the quality is going to be very high. Outside, not where yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I actually think their manufacturing and their ability has gotten way better, and I would not underestimate them in that area. Yeah, but we we have a small investment in BYD, which just announced that they are releasing models in Europe. And I think the bigger challenge that Chinese brands have outside of China is just being a Chinese brand from the perception standpoint, Bingo. and then. You have like Polestar, which I'm invested in, which is made in China, 
and owned by Geely, but it's really Volvo. And they bought Volvo just so it wasn't a Chinese company, basically. In the it's really a European company, and they're selling in Europe, China, and the United States. But Neo and and the other competitors in China are getting really good, and they're getting workers that used to work at Tesla, and they're extremely competitive, and they have every intent on building cars as good or better as Tesla. And so I wouldn't underestimate underestimate any competitor there. But my basic premise is that every electric car that's built will be sold for a decade to come. And we will not finish the demand in that most optimistic scenario of every company producing the most amount of EVs that they hope to do. It would not be 100% of the market. So until it's 100% of the market, it doesn't really matter who makes a car because somebody will buy it. That's fair, I think. Herbert, yeah, how I was are you just feeling, gonna... man? I was going to say, yeah, I totally agree. You do not underestimate the Chinese brands. They're going to come out. They're going to be um, efficient. They're going to know how to do manufacturing efficiency. It's going to be a great car. However, I do think that Tesla is about to redefine what an electric vehicle car can do, and it's going to change the game all over again. So while all these car uh, manufacturers are trying to catch up in creating an electric vehicle car, what's going to come out soon is not just RoboTaxi, but safety features. And the one that I've been harping on is um, automatic collision avoidance. So Andrew uh, Swaswami came out and had a video on this two months ago, and he showed that just with the eight uh, cameras on the car, it can now avoid collisions and know how to do proper um, maneuvers, evasion maneuvers, so that it does not hit anything anymore. It, it uses occupancy networks, which is knowing which you know area around its 360-degree view is occupied or not by a static or a moving object. So you have a car very soon that's not going to be able to hit a basketball pole. It won't be able to hit any human. It won't be able to get into an accident. Or if it does, it's going to know how to... If, take control and have evasive maneuvers. When that comes, and that that does not need regulatory approval, that does not need RoboTaxi to be available. It's just a feature they can turn on. What happens when that comes? Is anybody going to buy any car that doesn't have that feature anymore? And I think what they'll do is they'll 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 be they'll license that to other cars. Yeah. But it's this kind of it's this kind of features that as they add them, even before we get to RoboTaxi, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm speechless. There you go. <laughs> what kind of cameras is it going to have? Uh, right. I mean, you don't. You only need the eight twenty-five dollar cameras. That's all it is. That's that's Tesla's uh, set up, and that's how they can set up any car. They can wouldn't take any put, car, put them in. Wouldn't you put higher resolution cameras oh, on yes. this thing? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you'll do that. So you know, particularly when something. it comes for consumer in five years. What What do you think that? What do you think is in Elon's head? Like in five years, what kind of cameras is it going to have? A 32K, an 8K, a, a 16K, a 12K, somewhere in that range, right? I don't think that's necessary. I think people overestimate oh. the value of higher resolution cameras in this context. The car already sees extremely well with 720p. It is with a robot that is touching things because you need the resolution to be higher so the AI can do more fine micro movements on it. There's also another reason. I have an antique Tesla, <laughs> It's one of the first 10,000 made at Fremont, right? It has 1K cameras. Um, in five years, if the robot has 8K cameras, it can see eight times more detail than my Tesla can. So if it sits in my car and 
helps the first computer drive. It'll increase, decrease the error rates by a factor of two. So it goes from 0.99, uh, you know, an error rate every thousand miles to an error rate every hundred thousand miles. That's enough to get RoboTaxi on the road. Yeah, Robert, you know, people have been saying this. They've been going, oh, I can't wait until this Tesla bot sits inside the car and drives it. That's ridiculous to me. That's not going to happen. I don't get why that is. The car itself is a robot. The car itself will drive know, itself. You don't need a bot to come in and press no, the pedals I, or anything like that. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I talked to Adrian Kaler, who built the first computer vision system on the first autonomous car just two weeks ago. I had lunch with him and he built the giant ai company he also built magic leap uh, core pieces of the magic leap augmented reality glasses one guy has done a trifecta right there's a lesson there by the way and people aren't paying attention to it um that one code one data set runs all three of those things right so that gives tesla a huge advantage because they have a data a, a simulator that can simulate a lot of freaking environments in the world now. So I do want to talk a little bit more about the robo taxis. Actually, while we're there, Herbert spoke pretty at length there, and so did Robert about the robo taxis. They were initially promised to one million users by the end of the year. Do we think that it will actually? Whoa, 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 whoa. I this have to ask, no, no, no. That's FSD. That's not robo taxi. Could you elaborate? FSD FSD is where your car is driving you around town without your hands on the steering wheel most of the time. Robotaxi is transportation as a service. That means there's no human at all in there. Yeah, that's level level four and five versus level three. Right. So robotaxi means there's no human in the car. The car can come to you to deliver a pizza to you or pick up your laundromat or take you around without a human driving. We're a bit. We're a ways away from that still. I don't. Yeah. So I, I don't think we're. That, I don't think we're that far away. No, we are. We are. You have two issues. You have technology as an issue. Then you have the transition period of time where people still get run over by cars, and and we have to accept that. And then you have regulatory and our government, which is literally the most clueless people in the world, who have to allow this to go on. So, you know, to expect some sort of rapid induction of robo-taxis is clearly, I think, a false investment premise for Tesla. I think the investment pre premise for Tesla on robots and, and EVs is phenomenal, but robo-taxi, I think, is, is something that it will be the, the future. I so wanna, I do want to think more, too, Ross. How long do you think Tesla is from that? Well... I mean, I use FSD every day and then I interact with human drivers, you know. And so, like, if the goal was to drive as good as the average L.A. driver or Uber driver, actually, we could achieve that pretty rapidly because they're bad drivers. And, and so the expectation for an EV is that it never crashes. It will never hurt anybody. And if it ever does, we have to ban them because they're bad, because AOC or somebody will be like, oh, it ran over a woke person and, and it discriminates against certain people. You know, there'll be so much politics around this stuff. It makes it really hard to get it done, you know, and that's why it's so important for everybody on this call. When you deal with politics or your politicians that you say, we support AI and full self-driving and EV adoption and if you don't support that, I'm not voting for you. 
because these idiots are going to prevent this technology. I, I don't know if you guys get this. So we're not even, we can talk all day about robo taxi, but it ain't happening with the people who run our country today. Can, can I address that? Please. There Please, are, yeah. There are existing robo-taxi networks operating in San Francisco and Chandler, Arizona, and at least one other place I can't think of. So the, while it's true that broad, broad adoption of robo-taxi across the country or across the world is not going to happen right away, as soon as Tesla feels that they're as good or better than Waymo and Cruz in operating without a driver they would be able to get licensed to operate in those cities. And I think what the path that I see this happening is they will find places that are welcoming to robo-taxi networks. Florida, for example, has a law that legalizes them and protects them from local government regulation. Um, and once they're operating in a few key places, like I think Las Vegas and Orlando being convention centers for the country, once they're operating in a few places, and don't forget Las Vegas has the boring company tunnel system, which would be a good place to operate them. And then other people from other places travel to Las Vegas and experience robo-taxis. They travel to Orlando and they experience robo-taxis. They're going to come back home and say, I want this here. And it's not only consumers, but local government and state government bureaucrats, they go to conventions in Las Vegas and Orlando, and they're going to want it in their hometowns. Ross, here's some research I did with consumers around America um, that the car companies have me do. First question was, are you ready to get in a car without a steering wheel? And that's what they're doing in these cities. Uh, Waymo and GM Cruise, for instance, drive you in San Francisco without a steering wheel. Most people say no, and they say a very violent no. Like, you know, one guy in Kansas told me, I'm a narcissistic control freak, and there's no effing way a car is going to drive me around. Yeah, way. that's also the behavioral issue, which is... Yeah completely irrelevant which is certainly one to consider but i, I, I think there's Warren's... a second part to this though you ask him are you are you willing to get in a car that drives to you and then you, it has a choice everybody changes their answer to yes that's why i'm bullish on tesla because the cost of acquiring a new customer is going to be zero everybody wants a tesla to show up at the airport and take right them. right and I think if you have the choice, like I could get in and drive it, or I could let, get in the front seat and let it drive me, or I could get in the back seat and let it drive me, adoption will happen quicker. And I do agree with Warren that Vegas is a great city, and they don't care about how many people get hit by these tr cars. Um, I think, though, that is still a long runway for mass, mass adaption, and I still feel that the Cruise and Waymo systems that are running today don't work, and I think it's a big lie. And I, and I think that this is the big lie that these weaker LiDAR-based software hardware systems are running is they're not real. They're not, they can't really ride in a city without sort of um, being controlled. So and Evan, stock market humans, by the way, that'll jump into the car remotely. Stock market news, my man, Evan, see your hand up. What are your thoughts here as well? Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Uh, a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, quickly with the Tesla AI day, you know, um, this is a recruiting event. It's been said for that. And I think it's very, very um, interesting and probably smart that they're having it at 9.15 on a Friday Eastern. They'll, they'll kind of attract the type of people that they want to. But I kind of want to uh, throw out a little bit of a question, if I could. Um, yeah, kind of please. In a awesome. Kind of in a similar area to what we're talking about here uh, with AI and everything, um, Mobileye. They kind of announced that they uh, are filing for an IPO, and I want to know if there's any interest around that or kind of 
uh, anything that Mobileye is doing uh, in this space. That's an so, Israeli so company Mobile... owned by Intel, yeah, so and um, they will. They have a really good science team, and they'll figure it out too. There will be a competitor to Tesla, so maybe Mobileye is the competitor. You know, I I don't yeah. think it matters to Tesla though. So so I work with like Polestar a lot, and and now Luminar, and so I'm working on lidar based AI and autonomous systems and trying to learn how these other solutions work just, you know, in case Tesla's system isn't superior, what are the competitors? And, you know, you kind of start learning a lot about these other hardware and software solutions that everybody's trying to, you know, work around and there is no cohesive system. And that's one of the things that separates Tesla from everybody else building these types of uh, uh, systems is that like Mobileye is a hardware maker and they make good cameras and chips or whatever. And then Net NVIDIA does too. And then Luminar makes good equipment. And then Google makes good software. And then, you know, everybody's trying to put all this stuff together into one system where Tesla, it's just one integrated system like Apple. And I think that's going to end up being a massive advantage long-term that all the other companies, including Mobileye, which makes good stuff, but it's like, who are their partners? you know, if they make hardware, who's going to make the software that runs it? And then who's the main OEM that's going to actually like put this all together. And the OEMs don't know anything about technology and software. And so it's really like what they're doing at Polestar is that Volvo just like created a whole nother company and they're just putting together their own tech stack of hardware and software to build their system. And I'm like, hopefully this works. And I haven't actually gotten them to get me in a car that is anything close to what Tesla is doing. And so I think one thing that people are underestimating is this superiority in the hardware and software system, even with its limitations that Tesla has built and where the other companies are. So Mobileye is an interesting part piece of the part, but why would Intel sell this piece if, it, if they didn't think it was valuable? You know, like they want to sell some of it because they want some money for it. So why would I want to buy it? So we've talked a ton about Tesla's new initiatives and products, but I do want to take kind of a step back and look at things from a bit of a macro environment point of view. So currently with the slug and strong dollar, a lot of companies across the world are in a slump, as I'm sure everybody's seen, especially today there toward close. We see a difficult environment given interest rate hikes as well. How does how does the panel feel about Tesla's ability given the current macro environment? Ryan, my man, how are you feeling? Can you give us a little insight into how you feel things look from a macro point of view for Tesla? Sure, man. Thank you so much for having me, and hello to everyone on the panel. Um, it's very interesting for Tesla in terms of macro because they are one of the many companies that operate on a global scale. And since last quarter's earnings, we've seen the effect of the dollar and currency situations directly on markets' earnings, which has been negative because as the dollar is getting stronger, other currencies are taking a hit, as we saw with the pound a few days ago. And these are companies... Tesla's a company that operates worldwide, so they're going to get hit. Parallel to that whole situation, whether you believe in the definition of a recession or not, we just got our second negative reading on the GDP, meaning that we're technically in a recession. Also, yield curves are inverted, which is not a good sign, right? And consumers' money is slowly drying up. Where Last I saw over my headline from Wales, who posts fantastic news, was that we're like debt is, all time, is really, really high. People are taking on a lot of debt. So the thing that kind of the little thing that kind of concerns me is I love the tech that's coming out of Tesla. 
So there's two kind of situations that I see here with the robot one. I can see a lot of companies using that to reduce their costs in factories and whatever situations they can to any degree they can, because we've seen it the second any form of automation comes out, companies will look for it in order to reduce costs at a micro scale. You've seen it in your local supermarkets with self checkouts, with having to have less cashiers on board on the macro. You'll see it in these huge factories like companies like Lego, who've been famous for having almost no employees on the ground floor there. So that's a positive thing for Tesla, in my opinion, in terms of the robot and how far it can go. And of course, someone mentioned it before, it's all that data that's being accumulated. To the negative side, to the macro that's happening right now is if we're truly in a recessionary market, whether you believe it or not, that's up to you. Um, the p- people's pricing power in order to purchase these vehicles, they're they're quite, they're still quite expensive cars. Like if you want a the regular base model of uh, the Model 3 is about 40K. Then you want the longer range, which you really, in my opinion, need is about 50K. That car, if you wanted to finance it or lease it, is about a $1,000 or a $900, $1,000 monthly payment, depending on, of course, your credit and how much money you put forward. Now, for the average American who's now living from paycheck to paycheck, that is quite a heavy load that they have to take on. And of course, we're seeing in global markets, this is also being affected as well. So that's kind of a bit concerning to me there in terms of from a macro perspective here with everything going on right now. So I want to pivot this over to Jason as well as someone who's been long for so long. I mean, hell, man, you bought your first share almost 10 years ago. Does does the macro environment that we're experiencing right now that could be prolonged for months, if not longer, uh, does that affect you and your vision with Tesla at all as someone who's been long for so long? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I don't really pay much attention to macro <laughs> environment stuff. Like, really, as long as I don't personally, if I don't borrow too much against my shares, like I can handle, you know, I can handle huge price drops in Tesla without changing my lifestyle. So personally, as an individual investor, I don't, you know, it, I didn't really think much of it. The room's uh, still up. And uh, so I think that, uh, but, I, you know, like one thing that the way it negatively impacts Tesla is that people really, it's harder for people to get loans, right? Interest rates are going up. So like, you know, being able to lease a Tesla or uh, take out a car loan to buy a Tesla is more difficult. And also people are feeling the hurt right now with their, the value of their houses, their home equity is going down and maybe they're laid off. So obviously demand is going to take a hit, but these are all, I think this is all short term. Um, you know, I think this will be gone. Like I think things will improve within the next you know, year, you know, at least, you know, I really don't know. I mean, I think we have another year of this, um, possibly. Uh, I think Elon said something about a year to 18 months that this would last. So just going to ride through it and, um, you know, I just not overthink it. Not, I'm not going to make any trades. I'm not going to buy a share, sell shares, uh, just kind of, just kind of ride it through. I, I think that, you know, when you talk about the macro environment, there's a lot of things that are exacerbated and unique to this period of time that might change dramatically in the next couple months. And one is China's policies have been hugely detrimental to the global economy, which in some ways, ironically, has helped us beat Russia because oil prices have dropped and it's created a huge deficit in the Russian economy and they're losing the war and they're losing the war at home now. And this has been a huge, huge destabilizing factor on the world. And I think people are underestimating the optimism when Putin loses and Putin will lose 
and it's just a matter of time now with the outlier risk of him using a nuclear weapon, which is a reality. But I don't think he will, and I think he's going to lose. And then secondly, China's going to change their policies. And the minute China changes their policies, the Chinese people are going to do exactly what the Americans did. And they're going to go out, and they're going to go to Macau, and they're going to go crazy, and they're going to travel and see their family, and they're going to spend money, and they're going to buy cars. They've been locked up like prisoners in their country for a year. And if she doesn't let them out, he might have a real problem. And he's got an election in November. And we have an election in November, and we have a – a, you know, I'm a Democrat, but and I voted for this this party, but we have an administration that believes that it's best for our country to cause a recession, to slow down price increases, than to try to manage the cause of the recession, which is rising prices because of the war. This policy sets of actions does directly impact consumers in a negative way, and is creating lots of weird imbalances, but most people in America have a job and most people are sick and tired of paying for gas. And because Tesla acts as a disinflationary force for consumers who would maybe, it's not going to help the low end, you know, but the mid and the high end, if they actually do the math, save a substantial amount of money buying a Tesla, even with higher interest rates. And then lastly, the uh, rental car companies are desperate for EVs. They finally figured out that they can make a lot of money with EVs. And so every Tesla that isn't sold right away is sold to the fleets. Hertz being the leader here, but there are several other EV companies that I know for a fact want to convert 100% of their fleets. There will not be, I'll say it again, an unsold EV for the next decade, period. Can I just, on the macro point, can I just make a comment and ask Ross the thoughts on it? We saw and over the last couple of years that Tesla thrived during a crisis. And so now if we're facing it, which was a different kind of crisis, right? It was a public health crisis. But a lot of other companies faltered and Tesla grew like crazy. So we've got another potential crisis on our hands. And I expect that Tesla will grow through that crisis. And my question is not, will Tesla stock go to some crazy valuation? But is there some other place I would put my money that I would have more faith that would grow than in Tesla and Ross, you're the the king of investing in this room. What what do you think about you know where else would somebody put their money than in a company that grows in a crisis? <laughs> you know, uh, thanks for the question. You know, I, I I I dabble with this concept constantly because obviously Tesla is my biggest investment. And it's the biggest investment in my fund, and I have let's say forty other you know companies that I own for various reasons that may or may not perform as well as Tesla, and I may or may not have as much confidence as I do in Tesla. So why not sell the other 39 and just put it all into Tesla? And, and that's my career, Mr. Client. You just have 100% Tesla and, and a bunch of treasury bonds, for example. Um, I've considered that. And ultimately, I would end up either the best performing investor in history or a guy who let a lot of people off a cliff. And so that's, that's why you have diversification because – there are always things that we can't predict that could happen with some, something could happen to Elon, you know? So Tesla very much relies on one person for its success as much as it's a, a huge company. I don't think they're at the stage yet where they could afford to lose Elon. And I think it'll take a few more years before they have the depth. So that aside, 
when there's tough times like this, and I was just talking about this the other day during the financial crisis, uh, like I knew I should buy a stock. I, I was like getting killed, but I was like, you know, there's got to be one stock I can buy here that's going to make it. And it was Apple. And I was, and so I bought Apple and then I bought a lot of corporate debt, which is what I'm doing now, which are yielding very high yields. Um, so unfortunately I'm not really buying stocks and I haven't been for weeks. I've been buying debt because the, the rates are just so good. I'm getting over eight nine percent in the corporate debt market on stock uh, uh, debt, like from uh, MGM in Vegas. I, I've been buying Netflix debt. I bought some Apple debt. I mean, these, it's crazy. Like these yields are crazy. So I'll take them. Um, and so for income investors, it's a really good time. But I always come back to what is the stock I'm most confident of their success, and it's Tesla. So yes, I recently personally added to Tesla. I think it was yesterday i think it was or the day before um i'm continuing to add to tesla and basically the way my fund works and my basic investment premises i'm putting all my money in my fund and i maintain a certain level of responsible diversification through my fund and then i have my balance which is basically as a financial advisor you have to determine your balance between stocks and bonds or cash so my balance between let's say stocks real estate and cash that's really depends how much volatility i can handle and then lastly, you know, the rest kind of goes into Tesla, to be honest. But I tell everybody that I, I'm a little bit more like Jason. My risk tolerance, my ability to deal with, you know, I don't have debts. You know, I, I have cash. I can deal with the downs of the market as emotionally difficult as it can be because I don't leverage myself as an investor and and, and or my clients. And so I think this is an excellent time for people to invest in Tesla. But I also think there are amazing opportunities outside of Tesla and lots of businesses right now. Like my, one of my top holdings is MGM hotels in Vegas. Warren brought up Vegas several times and I'm laughing because great things are happening in Vegas right now. I'm fully in on what's happening at MGM and, and online gambling and, and just Vegas as uh, in the, the rebound post COVID. And, and I think I can double my money in that stock. So, you know, I think there's lots of stocks you can double your money on, including Tesla right now. And so I try to buy lots of good stocks and, and that's the way you manage money. And in the end, I hope, and, I, and I'm betting my career on Tesla, to be honest, uh, you know, for the next decade. And, and I'm in, you know. Ryan, see your hand there. How are you setting up, man? No, I just wanted to step in real quick and make a point on what Ross said, which I agree with. It's like, I, this is going back to a conversation I had just two days ago with one of my buddies. He goes, if you could go back in time and invest, when would it be? And I said, I'd go back to 2020. I'd look at these companies that are rock solid or are looking to have a rock solid takeoff. And I'd invest in those and DCA into those. Because right now, obviously, Ross hit on it. It's like, there's so many different swings and emotions within the markets. I'm, I'm like them. I'm like, for me, I don't really care too much about the movements here. It doesn't affect me if the markets go down another 20% or up another 20%. It'd be fantastic if it goes up, but it's about looking for these solid companies to invest in onto the long term, because that's the one thing that people tend to forget is during bad times is when a lot of money is made, right? You can invest in companies that are rock solid, like Ross mentioned, Apple, Tesla. I won't go on other ones. I don't, want to open the conversation further beyond that. But if you take these opportunities and invest in these companies over periods of time, AKA dollar cost averaging, DCAing into them, if they're solid, you can come out as a winner on the other end of it. So it's like, I know there's a lot of fear in the markets right now, especially with the S and P making another new 52 week low, but it's just, it's a matter of 
find these companies that are good and invest in them and invest in the people and also look for the bear case scenarios on them as well in my opinion like for example look at what could go wrong in tesla and account for that so if it looks like it's going to go wrong you can get out so don't just look at the bull side look at the bear side as well Really good input there. And and one thing you're always really good at, Ryan, is kind of keeping a really close eye on those both directions. And I really appreciate that about you. Thank you. So I do want to kind of hear some input from Tech AU and Brandon on this. What do you think of macro? For example, Elon Musk said a recession is inevitable back in June, June 21st, I think, and laid off 10% of salaried staff right afterward, which, I mean, they've done before this, mind you, as well. What are your thoughts here on macro with risk tolerance and, as Ross mentioned, significantly in debt? We'll start with TechAU here. Yeah, sure. The way I feel about what Tesla's up to at the moment is it's fairly independent of what's going on in the market in terms of they're just ramping factories, and we're likely to hear a factory announcement pretty soon, I think. And so they're just going to get about their business of just making as many damn cars as they can about scaling the energy business, about going into new areas like the bot and just keep doing what they can do. And the the big trump card that they have is the profit margin that they've got on each car. So if they keep turning up these factories to spit out more, more uh, supply to meet demand, at some point when they get enough supply into the market and they, they're reading through that, um, you know, basically demand for their vehicles, um, if they see any sort of curvature down in that demand, they could they have a great lever that they can pull, which is you know, pull out of the profit. So, you know, if you're making 30% on a car, well, you might be willing to accept 20%, but you're going to sell 10 times as many cars. So, you know, if you think the demand for Teslas right now is impressive, well, wait until they're, you know, 10,000, 20,000 cheaper again. Like, no, they're not going to do that. That's not going to happen, you know. I, they will never cut their margins on the, on these cars because they won't need to. Well, yeah, if if they don't need to, obviously they won't. But if they do, that's a good good place to be that they have that to play with. Now, you know, fast forward a decade, and they're making you know twenty million cars a year. Um, you know, maybe there's an opportunity where you know the, the competitors are are more realistically, you know competing with them as we talked about they're not going to have autonomy to themselves forever so so i just uh, that's the way i think about it is that a- apple never it, discounts their products i mean it's just never happens it tesla well, it's, apple, it's the same thing. Uh, so, okay so apple are playing a different game right so apple aren't trying to get to every person who ever needs a phone that's being addressed by other manufacturers whereas if tesla are going to say transport or energy these products affect everybody and you want like have a look at what's happening with Starlink on the SpaceX side. They're doing marketing to general consumers in a way that we've never seen Tesla do because they need to and they want to hit every person. So it's sort of a different skew when you look at it down the track of what they're going to go after. So I do want to hear from Brandon here a bit as well. How do you feel about that? Would you agree with Tech AU? Would you agree with Ross? How do you feel? Yeah, so I, I do agree with, you know, with what uh, Jason's saying. So I, I feel like we are in a recession. I mean, if you go to the supermarket, you look at the price of something that you always buy, uh, you notice like the prices are going up. I mean, you go to your local Ikea, you notice like all the prices are going up there. Um, I do feel like there needs to be an adjustment. You know, we, we are seeing house prices start to fall slightly. Interest rates are going up. Uh, with interest rates going up, that's going to impact the amount of people being able to afford to buy a Tesla. Because like, you know, someone said earlier, they're not the most cheapest cars. 
we may see a slight price reduction. I mean, we did that with the Model 3 when it first came out. You know, like my Model 3 is a completely different price point than it was um, then versus now. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a slight price reduction, but there's enough margin built in, you know, with the optimizations of their factory lines, especially with uh, Giga Texas, we, we see so much optimization, less people in the factories, more automation, more robotics. Um, it, 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 they have enough flexibility with their margins to actually uh, reduce the price slightly if they need to. So I'm not concerned about Tesla, but I actually, I, I, I agree with market. that, Brandon, um, because their, their input costs increased dramatically and they raised prices pretty quickly this year um, to off. So they wouldn't have margin hit. So if they see a reduction in their costs, um, from their commodities and such, I, I agree 100%. I think they'll lower prices, but they will not sacrifice margins to do that. All right, so I do over here as well to Tesla Herbert. I saw your hand there as well, but I have kind of a pointed question a little directed at you as well. How do you think, since we're on this topic of potential recession, what they'll be able to do as a result of combating that as a company. Recently, Elon Musk said that the Federal Reserve should worry about deflation and called the central bank to cut interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point. That is to drop 0.25% in his words. What do you think about that, Herbert? Right. So I think Tesla is in a fantastic position, right? They have $20 billion of cash on hand. They have gross margin um, that is delivering more cash as they go through. They've secured long-term supply chain contracts. So whether we're in a recession or we're in inflation, Tesla is well-prepared for the next year. They announced recently, Martin Vietra said that this is the first year ever, 2023, that they have no, they have already secured all the batteries that they need. 90% for cars, 10% for all the other energy uh, products. So, so, so they can wait this out for a whole year. And then the other point I want to make is that while we're all talking that Tesla is such a great investment, um, recession-proof, very no, no, no crash in demand, I totally agree with that, despite if there's a massive recession. But what about the other companies? So all these other companies are not prepared for this. They're going to get hit hard. You've already started seeing companies announcing that they can't produce cars because of supply chain issues and, and continued um, you know, issues with inflation and others. So when they falter, when they stop producing cars, that opens it up for Tesla to continue to eat up market share, to keep growing, to stand over. Every, all the weak will die. Tesla will survive, and not only will survive, they will thrive during this period. So, in fact, <laughs> I bet you Elon's probably sitting there going, you know, I don't want this for the world, but this is probably the best thing ever for Tesla. So, Evan and Robert, I saw your hands up as well. Let's start with Evan. What are your thoughts here? Um, You know, truthfully, I, I think that Tesla might be a little bit more resistant to some stuff, but I don't think anything you know, it's really correlated to a lot of the stuff it is fully resistant on that. Um, I did kind of have a, a topic that I was going to throw out there on the last one, but I kind of forgot it here. So we can keep it moving past that. Uh, I won't keep us too much. Fair enough, man. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm with Ross. I'm, I was cheering the whole time Ross was talking. I was like, you're, you know, there's, there's not, an end to the demand for electric cars right now. Let's say it, there is. Let, let's say there's Cybertruck coming next year. So how, how long do your workers have to stand around thumbing their thumbs and then Cybertruck kicks in and everybody gets excited again, right? I, I'm not worried about 
macro, but it could affect stock price. Belief does affect stock price and what's happening in the rest of the world will pull you down. In 1989, 1999, sorry, Amazon was $112. And in 2001, it went down to six. Did you hold? Most people didn't. This is a mental game. You got to understand the company you're investing in. And I think that's why people listen to shows like this, because they're trying to understand and get on board a long-term train because there's going to be waves on this company. Since I've owned it, it's gone down 50% five times. And my next door neighbor lost money in 2000 on Tesla or in a year when it went up five times. He lost money because he bought at the top, got scared when it started going down, thought it was going to go bankrupt, right? Believed all the rumors. If you don't understand this company as a long-term company, you're going to make mistakes as an investor. You know, honestly, you should not invest money you need, okay? You invest money like planting a tree, okay? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really simple. I've been doing a lot of tree planting lately, and, <laughs> you know, there's nothing more similar to investing than planting trees. And when you plant a tree, you don't plant a tree with leverage. You don't plant a tree expecting it to bloom the next day. You don't plant your tree and go out every day and say, well, I didn't grow faster. Sometimes the rain's really hard. It kind of beats up the tree and it's got to make it through. But when you get older, this fucking tree is like giving you fruit. Like you can't even imagine. Okay. So for a lot of us, we planted our Tesla tree in 2013 and 14, and this thing has grown into this fucking sycamore I've never seen. Yeah. And the last thing I'm worried about is Tesla. I try to explain nah. this to clients because, you know, my clients have to deal with the volatility, which is actually the hardest part of my job. It's not my own issues. It's the clients who have all this Tesla that, you know, they don't like the volatility. And I'm like, you're fucking rich, you know? Like, yeah. like how many millions you have is just an arbitrary number on a page. You own part of a company yeah. and valuing these companies daily has no purpose. None at all. And now, this is not- why I got on the mission of Tesla, right? Which is to move the world to sustainable energy. That's right. I study energy in my own house now in a completely different way than I did before Elon Musk. Right? And I just invest more and more. I, I work, I get paid, and I take my money, and I buy my fund, and, I, and I'm investing my fund more and more in clean energy solutions, whether it be solar or batteries. Yeah. The, yeah. The, look at what's happening, guys. This is the most obvious investment theme I have ever seen in my 30 years. I, you, we will all ride this for the next decade, and we'll do these stupid spaces in 10 years and be like, thank fucking God we did this yeah. because that is exactly what's happening. This recession is because we have three and a half percent unemployment that every single person in America has a job and it's too good. And the prices of cars are going up too fast and the prices of food is going up too fast. And we need more people in this country to work. So the Federal Reserve is just trying to create this little recession to get a million people unemployed so that the imbalances go away and your and your fruit doesn't get more expensive. That's that's not a bad problem, actually. Okay. It's not a banking crisis is a bad problem. Okay. And the banks are just fine. So, so we're all going to get through this next year and here's this opportunity and the market is fully priced in all this negative that we all are feeling and know that exists. It's priced in. Okay. So what I'm saying to investors is take money. You can afford 
to never use again and plant some trees right now. You'll be very grateful you plant in the storm because when it gets sunny, these things will bloom real nice. And you just wait. And, and as you get old, like you, I'm old now, it, it, it you works. You just have to believe in the tree even when the leaves fall off of it. Yeah, okay. just water it, you know? <laughs> it's so one thing game, that – one thing game. that – brought up as well uh the cyber truck i want to pivot to that for just a moment here so yesterday elon said that the cyber truck will be waterproof enough to serve briefly as a boat so that it can cross rivers lakes and even seas if they're not too choppy warren what are your thoughts on that <laughs> i love the beginning chuckle there that made my day um i think it's crazy i've actually been at the spot he was talking about crossing from starbase to south padre island i've been on the end of south padre island looking over to starbase that is quite a body of water to cross i'm not sure whether he was serious or kidding when he suggested that because that's like an out there goal and i think it's possible that he was uh what's the word for that he was you know, going over the top for the sake of uh, telling a story and that he doesn't really anticipate that. I, I don't know. I mean, it would be amazing if it could do that. It just seems like not many people are going to use that feature that often. <laughs> <laughs> so just kind of on the same vein of the Cybertruck, in 2019, when the Cybertruck was first revealed, Elon Musk said that the production would begin in late 2021. This has yet to happen, as we've seen. Why not? Brandon, what are your thoughts? You know, like, it's it's two weeks. It's always two weeks. And, you know, I felt the same way about FSD Beta. It was like FSD Beta was going to be wide release at the end of the year. And that was 2020. And I was really excited about that. And I was like, okay, this is going to happen. And then I kept getting defeated. Like, it was not going to happen. And we kept getting all these delays. And, um, you know, this, this whole Cybertruck thing is just... I, I'm excited for it. I'm waiting for mine. Um, but like being able to float in water, I just immediately thought like insurance companies, how are they going to like insure people that want to like drive their car floating in water? Like, are they going to start adding like water sensors to our car to see if we've done it like Apple did with their iPhones and their computers? <laughs> like, I, you know, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So if one we thing we did. Problem. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you think floating in water is a problem, just wait till the SpaceX Roadster, where it's flying. So one thing that I do want to point out is we, we did discuss, for example, earlier, the drop in price of the Model 3 when that happened and, you know, the potential for scaling down of pricing versus the thought that it's not really necessary. That That does drive home, to me at least, the idea of affordability. And Ryan, I'm curious of your thoughts here. Even if there's a price drop, anything like that, is this really going to be an affordable option for most of the population? So that's that's one of the biggest things that I ponder with with my Tesla investments. One of my largest holdings as well, akin to my Apple holding. Um, that's one thing that I always battle with is how large can they scale this at this price point for the average American to be able to afford when the average American can go afford an ICE car for 30,000 or even less, you can buy a Kia. I think there's some Kias that are $18,000 a pop and they're so much, they're cheaper. Yes, they're not EVs, EVs of the future. Trust me, I know that that's the vision I bought into when I invested into Tesla as well. But the question here becomes is at what point can they develop and build a cheaper 
a cheaper car because I, I saw an article a few days ago and you guys can confirm if this is true or not. But the whole discussion of the affordable EV was scrapped for the time being. And as as we're seeing that, I mean, whether we like it or not, I mean, everything is getting more expensive. So I personally don't see the Tesla Model 3 price getting dropped anytime soon. And correct me if I'm wrong, the margins took a small ding last quarter sans uh, the EV credits. It took a small little ding there. So I don't foresee them lowering the price, especially as more and more car manufacturers enter this EV space. You're going to see the cost of minerals and materials continue to go up. So I'm, I, I mean, I don't see them reducing the price of the car right now. So it's, it's a matter of do we treat, do we continue to treat Tesla as I have been as a luxury vehicle for the middle, the top, mid, top upper middle class to higher class or do we look at it like hopefully maybe the people on the lower bottom brackets will eventually be able to afford this thing in one way or another. But I, the people that I speak to, like your average American, I, I don't like I talk to I talk to my friends all the time. I got I know people from all skews of economic status and they're telling and the lower end folks are like, we can't even look at the EVs right now. It's just it's just too expensive. I'm like, I totally get it. Man. It's like, I mean, you're trying to pay like fifteen hundred a month for rent and then you have food and let's say they have kids and a family on top of that. A thousand dollar a month car payment is just too much right now for them. And then, you, of course, you have the higher end folks who are salivating at the getting the next one. They, it's it's become kind of like an iPhone for some people, where they're like, "Oh, I can't wait for the next one to come out." Oh, Cybertruck or this or that, which um, it excites me on that other side of the end of it. But it's just for me, it's like, when does Tesla shift their view of from expanding more to the higher end? Which, in my opinion, like the Cybertruck is still a higher end vehicle. To can, more affordable cars. Can I jump in here? Um, yeah. The, when Elon gave me the first ride, his whole point of electric vehicles was that they are cheaper. And he wants to be cheaper than a Toyota. He's not today. I just lost uh, my, my grandma just bought a Prius for $40,000. And you you know, you start looking at a Tesla Model 3, um, she's not comfortable with it. It's really hard to sell some people on it. But um, what's coming is uh, Uber was invented in front of me. And at first it was for limos. It was for rich people. And then a few years later, I was in a slum in South Africa. And now it's for them, too. And they were the women there were telling me how much it changed their lives and when tesla get auto when when the full robo taxi does come it's going to be way cheaper than uber and more profitable that's why no, Elon's like getting so excited there, about uh, right right go ahead so so there's a couple things <laughs> no, no, i agree with you on I, that I, side, I, Robert. there's a couple things that i try to explain to people when in regard to pricing because right now because of supply and demand tesla just really doesn't have much ability to build a cheaper car. But if you buy a $40,000 car or a $65,000 Tesla, especially an ICE car, your cost of operation over five years is substantially above your overall cost of running a Tesla. And people don't figure in your cost of operation in buying that $30,000 car that costs them $5,000 a year more to operate using gas. And then $5,000 plus of repairs over that five years and yeah. when you figure that out, it actually costs the same as the Tesla. And so I know I tried. What, what, I lost that argument, though. <laughs> so. No, but what what I think it is, is that there are cheaper electric vehicles today for people to buy. And it's just not going to be a Tesla. And mm. 
the idea was to spur sustainable transportation. And so because demand for Teslas is so high at the $60,000 price point, it doesn't really even make a lot of sense to them to try to make this. And so I was in, I was an electric bike store the other day and they're selling electric bikes in LA like hotcakes and they cost like two grand, maybe three grand and they're sweet as hell. And people are getting around on electric bikes now everywhere, everywhere in California. And there are electric options for people who don't commute far that are inexpensive and save you tons of money. And people are doing it. Okay. And then there's companies like Arkimoto and the micro mobility solutions. And then there's companies like Toyota and many others that are making cheap BEVs and, and hybrid vehicles. And, and so I don't think that's Tesla's market. That's, I agree 100%. That's exactly kind of the backwards way I was trying to make the point. Is I don't see them dropping the price. I think they'll just focus on their target market, which is the the middle middle to upper middle class. And high. Yeah, the millennial exactly. yuppies. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that, I think that's their target market. And they should, I think they should stick with it. You don't like, I, I don't remember who mentioned earlier, someone was mentioning about the iPhone for everyone. I mean, I think the iPhone did, does try to hit everyone, but again, you can't hit 100% of your of the target market. And you, so, if you find a market that fits you, you stick with it and you grow so, with them. So if you, you notice, if you notice low income people have iPhones and you're yep. like, how do people with low incomes have a thousand dollar iPhone? And there's a reason that iPhones are refurbished. And so the difference between one iPhone and the next is not much anymore. Right. And right. so a lot of people then send back their iPhones every time they buy a new iPhone and that iPhone ends up being resold for half price. And so there isn't that market yet for Tesla because nobody will sell their Tesla. Yeah, and, and they hold the value too well. As they make millions and millions more over the years, there will be an aftermarket for Tesla at some point where you could get a used Tesla for less. Well, okay. Right. So let me let me jump in here because I think I, I have a different opinion on what's happening that is not what's happening with what I've been hearing so far. So the goal for Tesla was to accelerate sustainable energy. They created the Model S, they created the Model 3, they're on their way to create a compact car. They have a supply chain issue. They needed to, they have tremendous demand. Why sell the Model 3 or Model Y at cheaper prices? Then he said that the fastest way to get all cars to be changed into an electric vehicle, it will take 20 to 30 years to, cha- to, to change all of the existing fleet of all cars. So in fact, the fastest way is not to create a $25,000 or compact car to try to sell that to the people who can't afford it. The fastest way to roll out RoboTaxi, price it at each trip this, the price of a bus ride. And if you can do that, then that's the, the, you know, people don't need to buy the cars anymore. I personally disagree with a bunch of others who think that Tesla will continue to sell, will create a $25,000 car, $35,000, sell it to consumers. I think they will, but maybe 10, 20%. The rest is going to go to fleet managers. So Elon seems to believe that RoboTaxi is on its way, such that they announced last year, right, this year, beginning of this year, that they're going to create, they're already creating a dedicated RoboTaxi vehicle. When that comes, maybe it's next year, maybe it's two years, it's still the faster way to switch everything over. So yes, I wanted... they do have deals with Uber right now, too, and and, and Perth. Yeah, I love that, that uh, Tesla Herbert's comment. Um, in 2015, or when I wrote that paper about autonomy, I realized that car ownership is just utterly insane for most people. It's, it's a, the most underutilized asset. It's only used 4% of the time. 
really. And, and it's people's first or second largest expense, usually their second largest expense after rent or mortgage. And it's an asset that is used only 4% of the time. It's complete insanity when you factor in maintenance, repairs, insurance, parking tickets, fuel, just everything, you know, the car payment, it just, the whole uh, business model of car ownership is, is, it doesn't make sense even now. It won't make sense once we have robo taxis. So before we wrap up here, about 45 minutes before the event itself takes place, Evan, thank you so much for being patient, man. I saw you had your hand up there while we were discussing that. Do you have any comments there before we wrap up here, Evan? Yeah, I appreciate you for uh, letting me get in. Herbert kind of really hit what I, the point I was going to hit there. But, you know, I really believe that that quote-unquote $25,000 Tesla that they're planning for is the robo-taxi. And the only way they come in and make that cheap car soon is if that robo-taxi network were to fail. And if it doesn't, then maybe that changes the ambition because I think the end goal really is the same of get everyone to electric. Um, I just think they see the robo-taxi as the way of getting there. So it's like, why would they would compete with themselves kind of going forward is where I, I kind of have seen that going forward looking. Yeah, I'd say that's probably fair. So folks... This has been, as always, the Unusual Whales Pod Space. Today, talking about Tesla AI with all of these Tesla investors and experts. If you missed anything, you didn't miss anything, this was recorded, will re be released later as well on the Unusual Whales Spotify and Apple. But before we wrap up completely, I want to give all of you guys another chance to plug anything that you're working on, anything you got coming out, anything you're involved in that needs some attention, feel free to plug it. I'll just run down our list here and let me know what you're working on. Let's start with Ross. Yeah, GK, uh, we do financial advice. If you are listening to this call, and I am a licensed financial advisor and a fiduciary, so obviously we were talking about investments that have risk, but the best thing you can do is meet with one of our financial advisors or accountants at my firm, and we work with everybody, and we're really now almost have a special division now for Tesla investors. So, you know, if you want a, an investment advisor that's not going to give you a hard time for having happier money in Tesla, that's, that's our firm. And the other way to participate with your diversification is adding the GK ETF, which we're very much focused on technology and climate. So uh, that's my stuff. Good deal, man. Thanks as always for coming. Love having you here. And especially now, knowing that you're a fellow deadhead. We should talk about that later. Love to do a show on that one. <laughs> hey, Jason, what you got working on, man? What you got coming out? How you doing? Yeah, so um, I'm interested in uh, kind of turning my focus towards the Tesla bot and uh, writing a, a research paper, a kind of a personal investment thesis on um on the Tesla bot. And if anybody uh, in this room is a roboticist or is interested in this area or is a YouTube channel, I'd be interested in uh, talking with you. So that, that's it. Just send me a DM on Twitter and I'll, I'll uh, love to love to talk with you a little bit about Tesla bot. Good deal, man. Thanks for coming as always. Ryan, you got anything you working on? Anything you got coming out? Sure. Just want to say again, thank you for having me. Uh, I run a YouTube channel where I talk about macroeconomics and the day's movements in the stock market. That's linked in my uh, linked in my bio. Also, I run a trading team with the essential goal of teaching folks how to trade these wild markets that's there. And thank you for having me, man. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for coming, man. Pleasure always ours, as you know. Evan, anything you got more coming out? I know you do a ton of spaces similar to these. A lot of good information there. How you doing? Yeah, man. I appreciate this. Truthfully, I got uh, nothing too much to share. I got, I got something big we're working on, but not uh, way too early to announce it. But I, I do just want to say appreciate you guys for the space. 
Uh, if you're enjoying it down below, make sure you're following Unusual Wales and the other fantastic speakers up here. Also, major shout out to uh, Nick up here. Up here is the co-host, the Spider-Man. If you're down below, enjoy the space. It's fantastically moderated. Uh, it's very difficult when you have a lot of people up here. Um, so uh, big kudos to you down below. Make sure you're checking out Nick. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me. Appreciate that, man. Thanks for coming. Really good insight while you were here. Robert, what you got coming out, man? Anything you're working on you want to plug quick before we wrap up? Yeah, uh, Irina Cronin and I are working on helping a bunch of companies with uh, figuring this new world out. Good deal, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, Thanks for the you input. Read my paper. If you got 45 minutes to waste between, between now and AI Day, uh, go read the paper I post on the top of my Twitter. Um, it's what I expect to see about the robot, and you can argue with me for 45 minutes, and then we'll see what reality is. <laughs> Fair enough. And good. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Robert. Warren, what you got going on, man? Anything you got coming out? Uh, just real quick, a YouTube, a, um, YouTube channel. If you search YouTube for Warren Tesla, you'll find me. I have a second channel on, on, on a free speech platform where I talk about things. I don't have to worry about YouTube censorship. I call it the daily lie. It's warrenredlick.locals.com. And the third thing is I am foolishly trying to create a single passenger electric vehicle company. High likelihood of failure, but I'm taking a shot at it. Prototype is underway. As a motorcyclist and someone who really loves to hear anything about single user, love to hear it, man. Can't wait to see more on that. Herbert, what you got coming out, man? Anything you working on? Yep. Thank you, Nicholas. Yep. So follow me on Twitter. I'm Tesla Herbert. Um, on my pinned tweet, I have, I'm known as the milestones guy. So I keep track of all the milestones, all the milestones that Tesla has ever done in the past, but also the ones that are coming up this year. I have a YouTube channel called Brighter with Herbert. I've actually interviewed almost everyone here. I've got an interview with Ross Gerber that just came out with Warren, with Robert Scoble, um, and, and others. So please check that out. Um, and actually, I'm doing a live stream right now, right after this ends at 6 o'clock. Robert Scoble and AJ Junaja are going to live stream and give reactions to the Tesla bot. So please join if you have time. Thanks, everyone. Good deal, Herbert. Thanks for coming, man. Check him out after this, folks, if you want to keep that train a-rolling. Brandon, anything you working on? Anything you got coming out? So, you know, I'm not as famous as everyone else here. I'm actually just, you know, I'm in tech technology and that's uh, what I do personally. So I'm actually working on setting up my whole entire house and my livelihood to be completely independent of all my local utilities, including my networking. So I'm installing my Starlink. Um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. And I think something that we need to look forward to today in the AI Day announcement is the fact that Elon had two different timelines. He actually had two deadlines that were set up for Optimus, and he also had the what we call reverse summon capability. And those deadlines were for today. So we need to look out for the fact that Robotaxi may actually be a lot sooner than what we think. Thank you. Good deal, man. Thank you. Tech AU, anything you got coming out? Anything you're working on? Yeah, obviously the big event today, I'll be doing a lot of coverage. So techau.com.au for that. And other than that, you can just follow me on Twitter. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for coming. All right, everybody. Thank you so much as always for coming to the Unusual Whale Space today. We will be back next week on Wednesday. We're going to be going over the real estate situation. Are we in a housing crisis? Will there be one? I don't know, but the folks that are going to be here talking about it absolutely will. 
Again, follow everybody you saw up here if you're at all interested in Tesla and the EV space. These folks follow very closely. They give it a lot of good content. Follow Ryan for that macro. Follow all of these folks for the Tesla info. Thank you again for coming. As I said earlier, if you missed anything, you did not miss anything. This was recorded. It'll be released by tomorrow morning on the Unusual Whale Spotify, Apple, and YouTube as a podcast. Thank you again, everybody, for coming. I really can't say thank you enough for you guys paneling with me today. That said, everybody, enjoy the AI event coming up in about oh half an hour, 40 minutes or so. And we'll catch you all next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for coming.